I've always said sales is the combination of investigative journalism and jujitsu. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Mike, it is the second to last workday for, for our team at least of the year and it was 20 degrees this morning. What happens this time that? of year? Are you ready for that, man? No, I'm not, I'm never I'm never ready for that. Winter is I, just the worst, and it's about to get dark. It's four oh seven in the afternoon. Yeah, by the time we're done with this podcast, it is going to be night. I am telling you, I think um, a condo on the coast of Mexico is looking better and better. All right, or just Nicaragua. Me, just Dollar goes me, a lot further. Yeah, man, but Nicaragua is still a little bit. Uh, nah, not anymore. Well, they've obviously had some some issues recently, but um, but then again, so is the United States. So, well, that's what I'm saying is that's why that's why I'm saying Mexico is looking. Uh, you know, give me good broadband, video, and and clear. I'm not clear. I'm sorry. Uh, um, U.S. whatever the U.S. customs thing is, so I can just fly through customs when I need to. And I think uh, I think you might get me. I think you might have me at cool. hello there. So, Mike, what are your what are your thoughts on 2020? What's got you? Uh, well, I know this is going to burn. you pumped up? This, this is going to burn your ass. Yeah, we're at, end, we're at the end of the decade. We're Start of another of one. Decade. I know. You know see, you know here what? we go. Look, you know listen what? to you. All no, no. Starting, you picked fights with everybody about this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I've been won over. The, here's the good news: every year is the end of a decade. Yeah, I guess. Right. Every day is the end of a year. Yep. Every year is the end of the decade, right? See, here's, see, this is the thing that's actually going to really get under my skin. So everyone's doing their this of the decade, that of the decade, that of the decade, right? Um, but next year, they're going to do it all over again because it's actually yeah. going to be the end of the decade. So are you, are you, uh, are you talking about my, uh, my morning brew tweet? Oh, no. I, I, oh, yeah, uh, I got heated with that. Yeah. I got heated with it because, you know, it's supposed to be a news publication and they try to say yeah. that uh, – they said technically the – you know, if you want – I'm like, no, no, it's not technically, it's not the end of the decade. It's not the end of the decade. And then they went with a, well, you know, after all, you don't say that you're, um, when you're 30 years old, you don't say you're still in your 20s. To which I let them know that, you know, clearly they don't understand how the calendar and, and birthdays work. So, yeah. See, Hannah, I told you I could get them. Uh, oh, yeah, up man, you can, get, you can get me going crazy on that stuff. You know, hey, you know, th here's the thing, right? Hashtag facts matter. What can I tell you? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so that aside, so going into the next decade, you've won me over. What are you looking <laughs> forward to in, in the next decade? Flying cars, man. Flying cars. <laughs> oh my God. Can you see uh, Elon Musk if we go to flying cars? Yeah. Oh my God. He might, that might. Uh... Push him over the so edge. So we'll, 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 we'll combine SpaceX and Tesla. Yeah. Um, and, and, and who knows what'll happen. No. So what are you, what, what are you, um, where's, where's, where's your focus? What are you thinking? I, I mean, business as usual, I think. Yeah. I think I didn't make somebody happy. Someone, um, on, on LinkedIn said, uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, what are your predictions for marketing in 2020? And I responded, 
you know, everyone had all these, you know, this is going to be adopted. This, and I said, it'll look a lot like 2019. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, uh, one of the goals of this podcast is to really talk about, you know, where, what is that difference between sales and marketing? What's the truth behind everything, you know, building that business acumen. And uh, I think it was Bill Gates or someone who said humans have a tendency to greatly exaggerate the change that'll occur over a year and, um, and underestimate the change that'll occur over a decade. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think one of the challenges that a lot of, you know, especially insiders, um, where it's, it's a really funny thing. If you study experts, they're bad at predicting. They're bad at predicting in their area of expertise. And it's, it's like um, a, a study was done where they, where they referred to them as fox and hedgehogs, right? Fox were kind of, foxes were kind of all over the place. They knew a little bit about a lot, but they weren't, you know, they weren't particularly specialized in any specific area. Hedgehogs had deep, deep expertise in one area. Um, and uh, the foxes were, were multiples better at predicting. And the experts are, are horrible at it for, for two primary reasons. One is they have a tendency to, um, because of their expertise, because of the position that their expertise in, infers upon them, they speak in certainties and absolutes. Whereas, um, and, and, and by the way, if you have any type of programming, you know, nobody's really interested in having someone come on to say what's, uh, like, like, like Steve from, um, from Igneous, right? Steve's not the greatest, like if you're going to have him on CNN or something like that, he's not the guy you want to have on there who says, what's the difference? Uh, well, you know, there really wasn't any difference, right? It's like, Look. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, you know, I, you know and, and you go, um, you know, you, you know oh, well, <laughs> okay, great. Thanks for the interview. Right. So, but if he says that, you know, well, it's about, we, we, you know, we woke up early, we worked hard and then we struck oil, right? Those are the three keys from J. Paul Getty to becoming rich. Um, so, so A, we speak, you know, experts have a tendency to speak with certainty and because they're so telescoped into what they do, they, they, um, they overestimate where, where things happen. And so they're like really bad. That's, what, that's why all political pro prognosticators suck at prognostication is they're so deeply embedded. And, and so every little thing matters, you know, every little thing is, is multiplied. And as this relates to, I think, what, what businesses do in, in terms of how they think about year to year and, and how they plan it is, I, I think that, and I think this is especially true of, of, you know, as you move smaller, so in that small mid-market space, there's a, uh, we, talk, we actually talked about this on the last podcast in terms of, you know, setting goals. We overestimate the, the deviation, the change, and so we you know, where we would be far better off if, if, if we underestimated the change going into next year. So if we planned next year and we said, okay, everything's going to be the same as this year. And then, you know, obviously have a, you know, have a way to adjust as changes as they happen, we, we would probably be far better off. I, I think one of the reasons that, that inbound agencies um, are close to jumping the shark and, you know, digital agents and all, you know, is that there's this, um, you get bored saying the same thing, right? So yeah. you, you, you don't value that as much. And so the exciting thing is, is, you know, it's far more intriguing to say that there's going to be some big, huge change. 
right? And, and I think that's where a lot of people end up, um, you know, they end up going wrong. And so they keep chasing, um, you know, they, they look at what's the change that happened last year and they go, oh, well, you know, so they use what happened to predict what is going to happen. And what they forget is what happened wasn't actually predicted. So we, we, it's, it's, it, it's the Wall Street investment. It's um, my favorite indicator when I was a financial advisor was called the retail investor indicator. And that was, um, it looked at 100, um, 100 share sales, right? Because small, you know, individual investors tend to, tend to buy, or at least they used to tend much to buy small, stocks. Right, right, it, right. And, and they would buy them in even blocks, right? That, that's not as true anymore, but back then it was. And, and so it, this was the most accurate indicator of, of market direction. If the small investor indicator was bullish, then it was highly, highly likely that the market was going to turn bearish. And if the small investor lot was bearish, it was highly, highly likely that the market was going to turn bullish. Um, Interesting. Right. And, and that was because we look at what, oh, I missed getting on the boat last year. So now we're kind you know, let me write. So now let, it feels let. safe. So we jump in and we jump, you know, and you, you jump in at the end. Peter Lynch used to have his cocktail party indicator. He would say that um, if he goes to a cocktail party, Peter Lynch was the guy who managed Fidelity Magellan's fund, which at the time he managed, it became the largest mutual fund in history. Um, had a great track record. And he said, when he went to a, uh, a cocktail party and someone said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a money manager. I manage a mutual fund. And they were like, oh, and they walked away from him. He said he knew that was a good time to buy stocks. The market was undervalued. When he would go to a cocktail party and they said, what do you do? And he'd say, I'm a money manager. I manage uh, you know, fund for Fidelity. And they said, oh, really? What are you buying? He knew that the market was, was fairly valued. Like that's right about the place we're in good place. He said, when he went to a cocktail party, he said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I'm a manager, you know, I'm a money manager uh, at Fidelity. And they said, oh, have you looked at this and this and this? You should buy this, this, and this. That's when he knew it was time to get out. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, you can see that all, you know, when you think about that, you, you can see that, you know, all, all, all the way around. Um, so. Yeah, but I mean, you know, on that point, a buddy of mine I was talking to last night and he's like, so did you put together your your yearly plan and, and what you're going to do? And I was like, why? That's like, I'm just, so much of it is out of my control. I'm just going to work really hard and try to make customers happy. And, you know, it's, it, there's obviously good to put some goals in place, but, you know, um, don't pontificate and put, you know, hours upon hours behind it so i'm i'm actually gonna call out uh, i'm gonna give a shout out not a call out because it's a positive i'm gonna give a shout out to to a friend of mine john mcteague um who who posted on linkedin he posted his go-to-market plan for for next year um and and i don't want to get into whether it's an actual go-to-market plan or, or what but he you know he put out there here's what his goal here's what his goal is and and you know the reason to have a plan going into next year is not for the plan itself it's to have something that you can adjust from right so you yeah. can you yeah know, no right? I, 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 know, I know i know i know no i know you know yeah. that but but what he did i thought he did it really really well and this is and it was funny because he did it it's something that that i'm working on uh, that you know that i'll be sharing in, in our kickoff and i would recommend this to everybody i used to do this all the time as a salesperson it wasn't just here's what my goals are it was how am i going to get there which is 
I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. So like he has, he's going to post twice on LinkedIn. He's going to, he's going to, you know, all, all these pieces. And, and here again, my point is not to say, do you agree that his tactics or what he's doing are the, like, that's his business. What, what is good about it though, is um, he's defining what a good at bat is, right? He's defining like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the inputs you know, like, here's what I'm going to try to, here's the output that I want. Here's the inputs that I'm going to give to get that output. And so as he goes into next year, he'll be able to not only say, am I on course or off course in, in terms of the objective, right? And, and being on course or off course on that has as much to do with luck as anything else, right? Yeah. And, but then even more importantly, he can see, okay, am I on course or off course with what I said I was going to do? And, and so he can, um, so he's going to learn more and he's going to be able to monitor more and he's going to be able to self-correct much more quickly because he's defining what his, um, I, you know, and I, I'm not saying you're going to make 17, you know, seven, you know, 17 is too small of a number, but you know, I'm going to make 76 calls per day, but you know, it's like, I'm going to make sure I, you know, if you said, I'm going to make sure I have five conversations every week with a, um, with a right fit profile customer that's not doing business with us. Like if you say that, um, that, that, that connects to the goal, you can also then begin to say, well, what do you have to do to have those five? And then if you're only having three, you, you don't, you're, you're not making your, your adjustment on the, am I hitting my number or not? You're making the adjustment of, you know, was my bat where I wanted to be? Did I hit the ball the way I wanted to hit the ball? And you'll actually produce much better performance, I think, over, over a sustained period of time. And, and it really gets into those micro adjustments, I think, that have a bigger impact on what your year will be than, than some big macro plan. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I think is really interesting when we talk about change is, and, and, I, and I've seen this, like I've been really thinking about this a lot, um, we think change and status quo are mutually exclusive, right? So like all the news for the last decade is the buyer has changed, right? And that's true. But it's also true that the buyer hasn't changed. Expand. So, You know, the, the, the buyer need, the buyer is two thirds through their journey right. before they, okay, well, well, and now, now there's truth there, right? Sometimes. Well, okay. Sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes that could be 1%, that could be 99%. So I don't, I don't know where yeah. you are in that range. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, def you know, it's definitely true. That, that buyers left to their own device are, are, are navigating that journey. It, it's, it's like, I don't know when the last time you went to the grocery store was, I don't go to the, I mean, knock on wood, I don't go to the grocery store that often. And when I do, it's for something quick. And so I am like, like the definition of, of great service to me is self-checkout. And yeah. I like, sometimes laugh about that. I'm like, wait a second, the definition of great service is no service. Wow. That's just something about the, the grocery store experience. If, um, but so, so, I mean, a, we have this tendency to, to, um, 
to, to want to control our own destiny, to feel like we're, we're in control. That's, you know, why do people feel more comfortable driving than they do flying on average, even though flying is irrefutably safer than driving, right? It's when you're in a plane, you have no control of what's going to happen. And in a car, you have no control of what's going to happen, but you think you have control of, what, of what's going to happen, right? And, and so if you take a look at it and you look, you look at the aspects of the buyer navigating their own journey, so here's the first question that I'm going to ask is, is that really a change? Is it really different that the buyer wants to navigate their own journey? I don't think it's a change. I think the buyer has always wanted to navigate their own journey. They just didn't have the means to do it. I would agree. Yeah. Right. So, so there's both a big change, but there's no change, right? The buyer at the end of the day, what does the buyer want? The buyer wants to eliminate pain and, and gain something positive. Right. And so a buyer with a problem wants to solve the problem. Right. And, and they're not, um, the, the, the way they process information, the way they think about things, the way, you know, the way the human brain works hasn't changed. Right. I, I look at it a lot and I say, you know, why, why are buyers waiting longer and longer? Well, I, I think the salesperson has actually driven them to do that because every time, not, not every time, but the vast majority of times when, when they do engage with a salesperson, they regret it. Right. Because ultimately, what does the salesperson want to talk about? The first, you know, what's the first thing they want to talk about? Terms and conditions. I mean, they don't say those words, but right. right? So that's what they right. do. Right. Yep. You know, and, and so you. But I mean, to, to your point around, you know, the buyer has gone through and I, I was just thinking, you know, the buyer has already gone through 76% of the buyer's journey before they pick up a phone and talk to a salesperson, whatever the stat is isn't most of that commoditized purchases more or less? Well, so, so what That's is what not... I would put uh, I, I, like, Hey, I need a data storage device. So I'm going to go look for it. But what happens if I don't even know that I have a problem? Well, if you don't know that you have a problem, you don't do anything. You're not. Un unless somebody, a, good salesperson comes to me and educates me on that I have this problem. Oh, no, I don't buy that. I do. Um, I can so, either, I, so, so tell as, me a, as a salesperson, I can come in and I can either help you reduce risk. Like there's three reasons why people buy. I, I'm either going to reduce, I'm either going to reduce risk. I'm going to make you money. Or I'm going to save you money. These are the three reasons why people buy stuff. Well, there's really only two reasons that people buy stuff. We're going to in increase money coming in or we're going to reduce money going out. Because if risk doesn't either right, increase right, money then, coming then, in, right, yeah, right. right. I, I mean, ultimately risk into that, into but, either one of those buckets. Okay. But well, well, so, so, I mean, you know, that, that at a, at a larger strategic level, you know, I agree with what you're saying, but, but I think this is, see this, I think this is where the the theory of of I don't want to call it value added selling because that's like so I might get like I might read an article and all of a sudden boom an insight comes to me and I'm like I have never thought about that that is a problem that I have right or somebody reaches out to me now it's very rare that I talk to a really good salesperson 
they boom, they call me, they, they, or a friend tells me a really good insight. And I'm like, wow, I've never thought about that. I right. can, I could really use some help. Oh, well, look, I got, I got, okay. I got a guy. Let me, okay, let me get on. the guy to call you. Okay. So, so what, what I'm saying is if you, you there's two, there's two um, trends that come here that, that really play into it where I think both sales and marketing get, get steered wrong. Um, and actually with some work that we've done with a few different clients, I, I think I've made a profound discovery. So the first thing is, um, if you are not thinking about a problem at all, you have not thought about this, then, then, then what you're talking about is changing worldview. That is a really hard thing to do. And that is something that is far, far better done um, as a marketing discipline with, with sales nudging. Absolutely. Okay. 100% me, I, I agree with you. But what, what the key is, I, I, I've always said sales is the combination of investigative journalism and jujitsu, right? And so investigative journalism or, or an investigative, like a police investigator. Well, yeah, whatever, right? right. It, like looks at a pattern and sees what fits, what doesn't fit and is able to go to the next level and go to the next level and chases things down and, and sniffs things out and builds and builds and builds. Now, what I've got to do from a jiu-jitsu standpoint is if you're not paying attention to something, so like part of the problem for the buyer today is there is far more for them to pay attention to than they have attention to pay. Then they, right, than they have attention okay. to pay to, 100%. So, so, so there's no shortage of what, you're, um, of, of what they can focus on to, to improve business results. Um, there's also all kinds of dysfunction within organizations that, that get in the way of whether or not you're actually going to get those results. Um, you've got the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the less you thought about something, that typically means the less you know about it. And the less you know about something, the more you think you know. And what I mean by that is the less you think you don't know. So um, the dumber you are, the smarter you think you are about something. And the smarter you are, the dumber you think you are. If, if you follow what I'm saying, if anyone's yep. not following me, just look up the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, and, and so what I've got to do is I've got to identify what is it that you're paying attention to. Uh, so I used to talk about two types of sales markets. And I'm actually listening to a book right now that, 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 that plays into what I used to talk about of, you know, there, there's that you've got some great new product that, and you have no competition. I used to call that the land grab market, right? That's Vermont opened up and said, anybody who comes up here, throw something down and you get this plot of land and you don't have to beat anybody for it. You just have to grab it. Right. And that's, that's about being fast, being quick, you know, all that. Um, Jeffrey Moore called it a, a tornado market. Um, those exist a little, a little bit, but because our attention is so overwhelmed, I, everyone right now has, like I said, more to pay attention to than they have attention to pay. So even if I quote unquote have no competition, my competition is for attention. Absolutely. So, and so there's, I there's so much this, on my plate. Right. And I said this to you in a previous podcast, and I've also said it to you privately. Like, when somebody used to ask us, what, do you, what is Seven Senses competition? Do you have any competitors? My answer was, really, it's the status quo. I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. Now my answer to that is, well, have you seen the MarTech landscape? <laughs> That's my competition. 
is those 7,000 other vendors that are out there because there's, there's only so much attention that can go around to a specific, you know, for a specific individual. Well, I think it goes beyond, I think it goes beyond the technology landscape. As a matter of fact, I, I think the technology is probably the secondary competition. I think it's, I think it's the number of tasks on their list that they don't have. They, um, they, 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 well, no, right. Okay. Absolutely. Right. So, I'm just, I, I use that as kind of like yeah, a quick example yeah. of. So, so, so what my point is, what I've got to do is figure out what are you already paying attention to? Because to, to replace the attention that you're paying, that's a very heavy lift. And, and while we can, we can tell the story of, yeah, there was this one time that I talked to this person and this happened, right? That doesn't happen. It certainly doesn't happen to the point where it ends in sale, which I'll get to the second trend in a minute. Um, I've got to figure out what are you paying attention to? So what already matters to you? And that's, this is the jujitsu part. I've got to take the, the momentum that you have there and, and you've got it going in, in this direction towards this because that's what you think, you know, that's where you think you need to go. And I've got to keep, I've got to use that momentum to get you moving in another direction where I want you to go. So that the challenge is how do I get you, how do I connect what I do that you're not thinking about to what you're thinking about? That's where the, oh my God, I haven't thought about that. Holy shit, we need to, right? And, and so it's, it, it's about managing both of those pieces. Does that make sense? You with me? Like, yep, I'm fine. I mean, okay. Um, then, and, and, and I would say this is, this is legitimate. This is a legitimate change in the... Um, in the modus operandi of how companies buy. Um, and by the way, it's also a legitimate issue around why there's so much dysfunction in, in, in companies is, you, know, you, well, you mentioned that, that the whole 70, you know, the 60, so whatever percent we wanna give is, is the nature of, of, well, isn't that for commoditized purchases? And so what I started to ask you was, what's not commoditized today? Right. And, and so if we think about a commodity, a commodity is anything that has a fungible alternative. Right. Correct. And, and so we think of it historically as um, the same thing. But like you said, at the end of the day, I'm either looking to increase the revenue I'm generating or decrease the costs that I'm generating. And therefore, there are fungible, there are many, many, many alternatives in both of those places. So even though I might be an apple and you might be a chair, right? So historically, the way we think of commodities, they are not fungible, but, but when you realize that it basically falls into one of those two categories, they're, they're, they're fungible in that, in that set. So what would, and, and why are things so much more commoditized so much more easily is it's a lack of attention. And, and so we are so, you know, the selling side is so solutions focused. Hey, everybody, I'm a solution. Does anybody have a problem? That it's, we just create more and more and more noise. Um, and and what, what the customer has done is just gotten fed up and said, okay, 
I'll let you know when I need something. And so we've pushed them to self-diagnosis. Like if doctors behave the way that salespeople do, imagine the conversation at the end of the day. Right? I've got to laugh at them. I'm, I'm a solution. Does anybody have a problem? I'm, 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 I'm the doctor that acts like a salesperson, right? It's the end of the day. I call home. I'm calling my wife. Hey, hey, hey yeah, Danny, how are you? Oh, no, it was a bad day. Yeah, remember that? Um, remember the addition that we were talking about? Yeah, we, we're going to have to, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. Well, I saw 15 patients today. They were all healthy. I mean, I figured at least two of them were going to need major surgery. And, and if I could have gotten those two to major, I mean, I had one of them that was really close. I mean, I had him thinking about it. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, yeah, there was nothing really wrong with his hip, but I was trying to explain to him that because he was so healthy, you know, one of the key benefits, you know, one of the key issues that leads to faster recoveries from joint replacement is how strong and healthy are you to begin with? So since he's likely going to need hip replacement surgery at some point, I, I almost had him where, where he understood that now was the time to do it because he was healthy. But, you know, his wife, like he called his wife at the end of the conversation and they, they just said, not right now. And so we, I'm not going to, we're not going to hit the number this month. And, and so they're like, that's, that's how, that, that, that's how a salesperson would behave. Like, like, you know what I mean? I mean, it's pretty close. Right. Um, so, so because of that, the, you know, the buyer said, "Whoa, I got to figure I mean, if doctors behave like that, we would all be using WebMD. Um, and too many people are probably using WebMD as WebMD, right. So, so here's the second trend. And this is like the biggest trend. If you're selling anything other than SMB and it's even coming down to SMB. If you do something that matters, like if you do something that really matters, which it's kind of like today, if you don't do something that really matters, it's going to be really hard to get the attention that you need. You do something that matters. You impact a problem that is a complex problem. And what a complex problem is that first off, it, it, it doesn't have a single solution. But the second thing is it is um, interconnected to the level that no one person in an organization has the line of sight, has the capacity has the control to be able to solve that right it, it it's impacting operations and like and it's impacting sales and it's impacting hr and all these things are coming in and and in the old you know most meaningful changes today in an organization can't happen by the act of a pen right if we think about the old days of of you know selling to the very important top officer right it was all about get the decision maker to buy get the decision maker to understand it and he will command it, right? If I can get him, right, we'll, we'll push it through. There were times historically where, yeah, you could just like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna stop using this server, we're gonna use that server, it's twice as fast. I can sign a pen, the change happens, you know, let's go. Now, one thing I would add to that or argue to, and this probably goes a little bit to the point you're about to make, when those types of decisions are made with the, you know, what do you call it? A pen decision with a pen. Yeah. You um, saw, like sign off and right, the right, change is made. Right. Like, right. The, ch the change is made. However, those, what I've found is nine times out of 10, those do not end well. Well, because they're not because, really things that can end with a pen. Right. It, well, even the things that can't end with the pen where the decision maker says, or the ultimate decision maker says, we're doing this, we're making this change. And then 
the people underneath him that are responsible for making that change, well, they were never part of the, the the decision. So then, therefore, they don't do anything. Like correct, it, correct. And, and, and the project or whatever it is fails. Correct, correct. So, so that that's my that's actually my point exactly. The the only thing that can be made by by the act of a pen is a change that doesn't involve people. If it involves a person other than the person that you're talking to, and maybe even then, it can't be solved with with the act of a pen. It needs it needs something more than that. So if it was just as simple as um, we're going to change the DNS code from this to this, and we're going to pick up twice the bandwidth speed, and like no one's doing anything different, well the fact that you weren't involved in the decision, the code is the code. It happens that I don't know that those sales actually exist much in, in, in business anymore, but, but that would be an example of now. Now, if the, um, if the downstream team now has to change the interface and this, well, okay, now you're, now you're talking about, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to circle to this with a real life story. Um, no, I should so, tell you 50 stories behind. Well, I, I got a really good one of, 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 of a successful sale that because this mistake got made, it almost got blown up and, and why we're teaching salespeople the wrong thing. So, you know, so, so sales advisors, sales managers, sales leaders condescendingly talk about purchase by committee, right? And we say that we're, we're condescending when we say that. We're, we're insulting our, our, our market base. And we say consensus-based buying, decision by committee, right? And my mom taught me that a camel is a horse built by committee, right? And so we say that's bad, except that that's not really what's driving consensus-based purchasing. It's, it's this whole warped feeling that salespeople think everything a business does is designed to screw them out of a commission. Um, consensus-based purchasing happens because there is no one person that understands the totality of the problem or can solve the problem or, or oversees all of the people. Like the CEO doesn't oversee all the people because there are people three levels lower who are going to have to do something and you're not going to have that communication from here to here and they're going to have to engage in a change. And so, you know, the other thing too, is you've got, you've got different role players who view the problem through different lenses. One says, oh yeah, yeah, we're just making this change and it's new. And this is a brand new thing. Like this is a true story on a, on a, on a sale that we were involved in uh, collaborating with some partners on, on, on a sale that we made and, and the decision maker, by the way, we don't use the term decision maker in our sales process. And when we build that sales processes, we don't use the term decision maker anymore. I think that's good. Right. I, 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 I think that's good. Cause I actually got asked by, by somebody in this situation, well, who do you think is the person that called the shots that, that really, you know, called the shots. And I said, well, none of them do. And all of them do. Right. It's very true. Right. And, and so, but like, you know, the decision maker, you know, saw this as a new thing was like, Oh yeah, it's not really that difficult. And yeah, this is going to make us better. And I'm excited. And yeah, yeah. Oh no. Oh yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, he does, He has nothing to do with its implementation. He has nothing to do with what the status quo decision is. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yeah. oh yes. And so when like when we got introduced on the because we were going to be the service provider for it, um, it, I'm listening to it. I'm going, okay, this doesn't this doesn't sound quite right. We then got um, so so we had a, a call with someone else got at it, 
and and she's the analyst right and of course she's responsible for managing and implementing the system and she's like well you know there's this and you know this has kind of been built over the last five or six years and there's no one place where we have all the documentation and and there's this and there's kind of, so we're trying to figure out this and there it's like oh okay, well, there's a whole lot here then on then on our kickoff call the head of operations comes on and and she's like before we go, I want to be really clear about something. I, I want you to promise me that you are going to make absolutely no assumptions that anything that we've done is, 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 is done correctly. Because, you know, we haven't done this before and our entire business runs on this. So if there's something that's not right, it, like, our, it will shut our business down. Yep. Right? And it's like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so the the second two people they're not the decision maker and they're certainly not the ones that are excited about it and they're the ones that make it hard and what do we teach our sales teams you've got to find the decision maker seek the decision maker which we define as who's the person that can say yes who's the person that can sign right and and so we think I have the decision maker. Drive this baby home. Now, here's what happens 80% of the time. You get to the point where you deliver your proposal to, the, to that decision maker. That's when all the other stakeholders find out about it. And now it's like, oh, it's at decision mode. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And now you're like, I mean, I, I always say the moment you put the proposal on the table, the moment I ask you to buy, I am now a salesperson right up to that point i can be an advisor but once i say okay here's the proposal let's let's do this i'm now you know my my, my credibility drops a thousand times i'm on the you know all those things go about so we lose the sale right 80 percent of the time you lose the sale and that's where we go with them i can't believe that the buyer lied right we we convince yep, ourselves no, that buyer, yep, right? right and 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 by the way here's what i'm realizing it's not the salesperson's fault they're, it's being driven to them. You need the decision maker. They're being taught that when they get the other two roles, you want to get past them as fast as possible to get to the guy who's excited about it or the gal who's excited about it, who can say yes, who wants to sign the contract and makes everything sound easy. Right now, 20% of the time, you, you, you either have a rebel decision maker who goes ahead and signs things without saying anything. Which or, again, always correct. in disaster. Well, I was going right. Or, you know, they just, you know, it just happens. No one, like no one realized everything that was involved and they sign off on it. And now you are in there and you're like, now that, now the thing's dead from the start. Well, you take a look at what's happening in technology today. Freemium, right? What, what does exist today is there are people who have varying levels of budget authority, right? I'm a, I'm a director of email marketing. I have some aspect of, I can buy this email tool, right? And certainly like, Oh, $50 a month. How, how many people do that stuff where they put it on their credit card and expense it? Yeah. Right. Or freemium or this, right? So you come in here and then someone starts making the sale and you're selling from underneath. And the moment you get to the point where you have any type of critical mass, it starts blowing up because yeah, they had the authority for the budget, but no one had the authority for organizational resources, organizational attention. Right. And, and, and so like, have you seen the NPS scores?
for the best NPS people in the MarTech categories. There are NPS, there are negative NPS scores that are top NPS scores in, in MarTech categories, right? Mm. Right, you got, you, you got net detractors and you're the best. Like, hey, <laughs> I thought that was the airline business, right? How many people are happy with their CRM, right? Why are they not happy with their CRM? Because they made a buying decision. They didn't make an organizational performance management decision. And there is no one person, you know, guess what? You can what? make a decision about a CRM, absolutely. Guess what? If there are 100 sales reps, hell, if there are 50 sales reps, maybe even if there's 10, there's, there's a sales manager, there's a marketing, there's IT, there's finance, there's human resources, right? All those people, they're, they're going to decide with their actions whether something is successful or not. And we're teaching sales teams to avoid those people, right? And then we're going, I don't understand why. You know, I keep seeing everybody having like zero churn, except if there was zero churn, you, you couldn't have as many companies starting today. And I, I mean, I got to tell you, I see companies and I see people changing. You know, one of the things that I'm convinced is, is causing churn to lie, especially in the tech market, is we got all this freemium business. Freemium, well, freemium doesn't churn. Right. right. Freemium doesn't churn. Like, what, what am I going to I, I still have my, my username. I still have my username and my password. Right. And, you know, right. like, I, and I never logged into the system, but. Right. And, and, and so it's like what you have to know is who are the, who are the role players? I, I have a friend who calls them the cast of characters. You know, you, you got a lineup, right? This is the lineup. Like, can you imagine if, if you went to, um, you know, pursuit of the decision maker is like looking for the quarterback of the football team, right? Yeah. How would you perform if all you had was a quarterback? Hey, it's Tom Brady for all you effing New England Patriots fans. It's Tom Brady against the Washington Redskins. You know, even the Washington Redskins would beat Tom would Brady be by Tom himself. Brady. <laughs> yeah. They might, they might actually sack although, Tom Brady. Although, when was it? The 2000 Sugar Bowl, Michael Vick almost single-handedly beat Florida State. Almost. Well, no. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm I know, kidding. right. I'm I know you are. I know you are. I know you are, right? But, but he, that like, if that offensive example. line, if that offensive line wasn't there, he would not have come close, right? At least right. they, you know, at least they made right. him count to five. Right, you know, <laughs> one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Right, right. You know, and, and so, like, that's the lineup for success. Yeah, right? and and so, like, so we keep, we keep, um, we try to fight. Like the sales side is trying to fight that, right? And he, here's the second observation that I made. Right. So, so, so the first two trends are. We don't have enough attention, so you're competing for attention. So it, you know you're, you are replacing somebody, and it is a lot easier to reposition something that's already on the plate than to get somebody to take it off the plate so that you can be added to the plate. The second trend is the complexity of a business means that the problems that they're trying to solve aren't can't aren't cannot be handled by just one person, and that is what is driving consensus buying. The problem is buyers don't know how to do consensus buying. That's why it becomes buying by committee. Hey, what's one of the great things that a salesperson can do? We can teach you how to buy. 
we can, we can champion consensus buying, not fight it, and teach you how to do it. Right? Yeah, and, and, and therefore you will be successful in the deployment or it, with the project. And, and the third challenge, the, the, the third trend is, by the time I feel the buyer, feel a dissatisfaction to the level that I want to do something, that I'm now in an action mode. I, I now have the means to do more things on my own. And so unless you're a great salesperson, you're, you're on the defensive, you're on your heels. So I'm not going to be able to establish the relationships. I'm not going to be able to define what they think about like there there's a there's like a scary stat that, that i saw from two different studies 80 percent of buyers want to talk to and would favor someone to you know talking to salespeople in a pre-consideration phase who would help them understand their issues define problems that they didn't know that they had define problems that they misunderstood understand the context of you know all, all that 80 percent want that and every seller on the planet that I've talked to tells me they want to be there at that point. Research from Challenger, 11% of salespeople, 11% of the time, a seller is present at, at the problem identification stage. The buyers I, want I, it. I, 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 oh, I, I totally believe that, that number. Yeah, right. I totally yeah. believe that number, right? But, but see, what, here's what people don't understand. At the problem identification phase, they don't know what their problem is, right? Once I've decided what my problem is, now if I want to give you that aha moment, I've got to not only give you a new idea, but I got to get you to give up your old idea. That's hard because now there begins to be time pressure. Um, I can't establish the relationship. We, we can't have it. Everyone's talking about account-based selling and they're all looking for post-intent account-based. And I'm like, how do you do account-based selling and you're, you're only talking to one or two people in an account? Guess what? That's not account-based selling. That's lead-based selling at an account, right? You, you, can't, you can't establish that better relationship when they're in the midst of trying to solve something, right? And here's what I discovered. Salespeople have no idea, and executives for the most part, have no idea what a conversation sounds like when the buyer's not looking for anything. Cause they're like, and if you look at how they try to position everything, if you look at all the talk tracks that they're, it's, well, have you thought about how you would handle X, Y, Z? Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great question to ask after they're thinking about something. But if they're not thinking about something, they don't, they're not going to answer that because it's like, right. Salespeople don't know how to have a conversation with somebody. Like, how do I have just a business conversation with you? How do I, like, I'm, I don't mean to pick on Miller Hyman today, but this is the example that, that I gave to the person I was talking to. I, I used to sell a sales process. That used to be one of the key things that we did. So, so Miller Hyman was a competitor. I, I can say, and I, and I like Miller Hyman. I think there's a lot of great theory in Miller Hyman. Um, I learned a lot from him. The good news is Miller Hyman's not a competitor for us at all because we are sales process agnostic. We're like, if, 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 if the sales methodology that you're using is the key issue for you, then we're in a really, really good place, right? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I may not think that Miller-Hyman is, is the best because I think my, my process, my, my methodology is the best, but 
but I can't argue with the fact that people have been very, very successful with Miller Hyman. So I don't care if you're using Miller Hyman or Sandler, which actually, by the way, you, you probably shouldn't use Sandler, but I don't care if you are, uh, you know, Michael Bosworth solution selling value. Like, I don't care what you use, right? Like there's so many other structural things that come in before you get to that. Um, but here's what I know about people with, you know, on Miller Hyman, like if they're on Miller Hyman, I know that they, that they may like Miller Hyman. Um, but they get frustrated with Miller Hyman because it's complicated, right? It, there's a lot of things to keep track of. And if you want to get someone talking about Miller Hyman and begin sharing things, just say blue sheet or green sheet or yellow sheet, you know, because if you say blue sheet, like you, like you just get to sit back for a half hour while the VP of sales goes on and on in this schizophrenic conversation about what they love about the idea. But the problem is with this, but they write in, it's like, I know that that's right now. I get them talking about it because guess what? We're not talking about doing anything. My job, like, let's have a conversation. Let's get you talking. Let's have this. Like, so I need to understand the basics of Miller Hyman, not to position myself or anything against that. I, I need to know the basics of Miller Hyman. I need to know the basics of Sandler. I need to know the basics of Bosworth solution selling so that I can get them talking. I know where their, where their happy points are and their frustration points are. So we can have, um, a valuable and enjoyable conversation. And then what I can do is build it up and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got to tell you, I think Miller Hyman is an amazing system. And I think the blue sheet is a, you know, um, is a phenomenal idea. What it sounds to me like is there's, there's actually a design and structure issue that, that maybe we should think about. I'm not going to get you to change your mind. I don't want to, I don't care if you change your mind about Miller Hyman, but I got to get you talking about it, right? Without it being, um, so here's what you can buy from me, right? In, in, right. in that complex place. Right. And, and it's, that's a different game. Like I, I, we, we have a client, we're trying to get them to, to realize they, they address a really small subset of something. And it's like, you know what guys, let's, let's take the content plan and let's go North, right? Let's, let's make what we're doing about supply chain excellence. Let, let's start creating content that's valuable, for supply chain leaders. And yes, only 2% of the people that are going to look at that are going to have the issue that we address. But the problem is by the time we're down to that 2%, that 2% is not looking for this because, I mean, frankly, no one gets fired for, you know, they're a subset of a subset of a subset, right? And it's like, hey guys, guess what? If we can be relevant to them when they're not thinking about something, then, then we're going to have a hell of a lot more influence when that When they happen, are thinking right? about something. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so, and so that's what I mean when I say, you know, the buyer has changed because the world has changed, but the buyer hasn't changed. I, I had a friend and an advisor who told me one time, she said, business is business and it has always been business and business is about two things content and distribution right why did rockefeller own the own the tracks and the roads and the trucks because that was distribution and why did he own the oil because that was content and and we realized that was vertical integration and I trust and I competitive and we broke him up and now Facebook. I mean, why is Facebook buying WhatsApp and Instagram and this and this and this? Cause it's content and distribution. Yep. Right. Everything. When you break it down, it's, it's 
you're either roads it's and trucks. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. Yeah, right? it's an interesting. And and so you know the internet. The I mean, what do we call it? Whenever the information superhighway, it's the highway. It's distribution, IPs, content. Why did Disney start Disney Plus? Because Disney's got a shit ton of content. But they didn't and, have a good and, distribution. And what they see, they started saying, "Wait, Netflix is beginning to own distribution, right?" Why is, and I'm not, I don't mean to be political here, but why is Elizabeth Warren talking about breaking up the Amazons? Well, because Amazon's beginning to look a lot like chartered oil, right? Um, it's content distribution. That, that's the two sides of the coin, right? And on the buy side, it's problems, opportunities, resolution, right? And, and then it's all going to be combined by path of least resistance, right? So you got content, distribution, problems, Resolution, path of least resistance. That formula hasn't changed. The, um, what was it Mark Twain said? He said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, right? Yeah, so, so now it's this, right? You know, the internet has enabled me to do this. Um, certainly the seller has had to undergo a significant amount of change because 10, 20 years ago, the great seller was the one who had the answer. Today, the great seller is the one that asks the good question, right? And I don't mean the question like I ask you the question so that I can listen. I mean, I ask you the question, like what causes you to go, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. It is not a statement that I make. It's the question that I ask. Like, I might make the statement, but it's the question it's that the I question ask, you ask before that causes you to go, oh, wait a second, right? And, and so- those things haven't changed. And the question that, that I think businesses need to answer is relative to, to you know, whatever they're trying to achieve, content, distribution, problems, resolution, path of least resistance, right? Those are the five, the, the, those are the five components. What's your plan around those five components? Um, now, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not complex. How about that? Think about that for a minute. Right? <laughs> You've dropped a couple of good bombs today. Right? You know, it, it was when I was, I was watching a year retrospective. It was, by the way, a year retrospective. It wasn't a decade retrospective. Decade, yeah. But, but it was- I, I mean, Here we go, yeah. back to the decade. And, and, and um, sorry, I had forgotten that Rick Ocasek passed away. And, and I loved the cars. Um, and the thing that was amazing about the cars is if you listen to the cars, if like if you listen to a cars album or CD, it's a really interesting mix of music. But if you were to listen to the tracks, like none of them are great musicians. I mean, they're good, but none of them are great musicians. They all do very, very simple things. Like everything they do is very, very simple. The magic of the cars was how they mixed a very simple bass, a very simple guitar, very simple keyboard, a very simple drum they mixed it together to create something that had depth to it, at least sometimes, right? I, one of the first blogs that I wrote was what do Bach, Beethoven, Eminem, and Bruce Springsteen have in common? What's that? There are 12 notes in music. They all worked with the exact same 12 notes. And I believe, I haven't looked at the blog in a while. I think it's like 80% of the notes used in music come from, it's either six or eight notes. And, and Bach used the same notes that Eminem used, that Chance the Rapper uses, that um, Nipsey Hussle used, that... that wow, I drop look at you. Yeah. I, I don't even know who Chance the, Chance, the, what a, Chance the Rapper is. 
right? Um, right, and so so music is actually this really simple thing. It's never grown beyond twelve notes, but you can do amazingly complex things with it. And and I think that we have a tendency to get complicated and not embrace the complexity of the system, right? There's there, 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 there's a beauty in complexity. And if you realize what's there, then you can design your system. And, and I always say this, I'll, I, this will be my last comment for, for today and this year on the Black Line podcast. For the decade. For the decade. Um, a well-designed system makes the complexity invisible so it feels simple and effortless. And we're all striving for simple and effortless. But what we don't understand is simple and effortless only occur when there's a beautiful design to the complexity of the system. And so you actually have an inverse relationship. The more complexity of the system the simpler and more effortless it can feel. The simpler the system, the more complex it complex. feels. And so we keep trying to make our system simple. And then we wonder why we're dealing with all this friction. Everyone say, hey, frictionless, let's get rid of friction. I'm all for it, right? And getting rid of friction requires a complex system to manage that, right? And, and there's a tremendous opportunity there, but but the laws of physics haven't changed. Human anatomy hasn't changed. Biochemistry hasn't changed. Our brain hasn't changed. And AI is still far enough out there for any actual legitimate application for it to mean something to 99.9% .9 of the businesses out there. I'm not saying you can't leverage it for incremental things, but like it doesn't change the game. At some point, yeah. At some point, we may have the neural network that, that, like that, that may happen. I have doubts, but it may happen. That could change. Like that, that might be actually a game changer. Can, by the way, can we, like for 2020, can we just stop talking about how we're changing the game? Because guess what, everybody? The game hasn't changed in, in at least, I mean, in, I don't know how many, in, in 25,000 years, the game hasn't changed. We're playing the same game. Right. And I think if we go into 2020 saying, hey, I'm going to play this game better rather than changing the game, I think we're all going to enjoy it next year a whole lot more than we would otherwise. That's my thought. You're going to enjoy the new decade. I'm yeah. going to enjoy the new decade. I'm going to enjoy the, 20, the decade that ends in 2020. I'm going to enjoy the decade that ends in 2021. 21. I'm going to enjoy the decade that ends in 2022. <laughs> I think we can leave it at that. What are your parting thoughts? No, I loved it. No, it's, it's all, uh, again, interesting insight. All right, everybody. Well, um, I'm going to say have a great holiday, but you're probably not listening to this until after the holiday. Or this, God, I hope you're not listening to this until. <laughs> like, if you need to listen to the Black Line podcast between uh, the 23rd and the 1st, then, uh, hey, we're here for you. We thank you. We do thank you. Um, hey, it's been a great year. Uh, thanks for uh, listening, Mike. Thanks for uh, all the the crap you give me and the crap that you take. And um, what people, what most people don't realize is this only represents about five percent of the crap we probably give to each other on a yeah 
on an ongoing basis. And so everybody out there, let's, uh, let's go out there. Let's, let's build, uh, let, let, let's make it, let's embrace the complexity and make it a little bit simpler. Let's, uh, let's all appreciate, I'm, I'm getting really sentimental here. Let's appreciate yeah. everybody just a little bit more. Um, uh, and, uh, let's, let's, let's not change the game, but let's change the world. Happy new year. Happy new year.